Well, I want to welcome uh, all of you joining us from our Airdrie campus, our South Campus Bridgeland Bearspaw, all of you joining us online, and certainly all of you here at our Central Campus location. Now, it's been about a month or so since COVID restrictions have eased and are no more, and you know what, I want to encourage those of you who are watching online or in the room who, if you live north of Calgary, you know, Airdrie, Crossfield, Carstairs, Didsbury, I don't know, north of Calgary, you know, consider inviting someone to come with you and attend our Airdrie campus that meets on Sunday morning. Um, if you live far out northwest Calgary, Cochrane, you know, Rocky View, Bears Paw, that area, you know, consider attending our Bears Paw campus. It has two services on Sunday morning. Um, if you live in the downtown core area, consider inviting someone to come with you. Attend our Bridgeland campus that meets Sunday mornings. And let's say to just say, if you live south of Anderson, or Glenmore if you want, but certainly south of Anderson, Okotoks, Pritis, High River, that area, you know, consider worshiping with others that gather Saturday night at our South Campus location. And of course, there's lots of room here, you know, for everyone at our Central Campus. Two services Saturday night, two on Sunday morning. And um, so I just want to encourage you, if you are physically able, join us in person. Join us in person at one of our five campus locations, nine services every weekend. There's lots of room. And just specifically to those of you that are worshiping online with us, we love that, that joining us in worship it, you know, can supplement and complement your spiritual growth and your discipleship. But don't let it replace you know, you being a part of a Bible-believing, Christ-centered church locally, you know, where you live and getting involved there. And certainly do that if you live outside of the Calgary and the surrounding area. You know, get involved locally in a church where you're at. And, and uh, if you live in the Calgary and the surrounding area, then join us in person. And, um, and we love, though, that you're joining us online each and every week. Love that our services are meaningful to you. Now, this past week, our family attended a funeral service of an extended relative of ours. And it was a beautiful celebration of a full life well lived. Absolutely. Certainly there was sorrow and sadness, but there was hope that was expressed. You know, hope for, to live with Jesus in heaven for all of eternity and to, to be with others who have gone before who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So there was sadness and there was hope and celebration. But what I was reminded of once again, and what I've experienced in sitting with people that are nearing the end of their life, what I was reminded of is that the conversations that happen in that time frame focus on what is most important in life. There's worship songs that are sung, there's scripture that's read, there's memories that are shared, there's talk about heaven and eternity. Words are chosen wisely. Words are chosen carefully, right? Because time is short. And you talk about the things that are most meaningful, that are most important. Well, I want us to look today at a prayer that Jesus prayed just before he died. It was words that he expressed to his heavenly father because Jesus knew he was going to die. And we don't see him just speaking about trivial things here with his father. He is focused. He's intentional. He's purposeful. His words are exact. He's careful to express and pray the most important things that he wants his heavenly father to bring about 
on this earth. John chapter 17, that's where we are. John chapter 17, verse 20. And if you're physically able, I would love for you to stand together just as a way to honor the reading of God's word. So John chapter 17, verse 20. In the verses just prior to this, Jesus has been praying for his disciples. And now he prays for us. He prays for you specifically. He prays for me. He prays for all who profess their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He's praying for us. We're going to read his prayer that he prayed for us. So read this with me, will you? John chapter 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, we love your word to us. Your word that is true, your word that is unchanging, your word that is ancient, your word that is living. So we pray now that you would speak to each one of us through your Holy Spirit. Change us, shape us, correct us, convict us, encourage us, inspire us to live lives that bring honor and glory to you, Jesus. Answer our prayer. In your name we pray, amen. And please, everyone, have a seat. <clears throat> Do you want to know what Jesus wants for you? What he desires for you? We just read it right here in his prayer. Jesus prays that all of us would be one. Specifically says that all of them, Jesus prays that all of them all who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior would be one. Jesus prays that we would be brought into complete unity, unified together, a loving community. Seems like the last two years, maybe a bit more, have brought a level of division that we've not seen before. Division in our country, division in our provinces, division in our city, division in families, division between individuals, this division has brought about, it has brought about significant destruction in some relationships, in families, in community groups, in, in churches. It's affected almost every single one of us, this divisiveness, this division. We've all had to navigate carefully, right? Striving to listen well, trying to seek to understand and then trying to move ahead in unity with those that we are in community with and relationship with. We've all had to navigate this. And what is striking is that Jesus prays that his followers would be one, would be unified together, would be in complete unity. This is what Jesus prays for us. This is what he asks his Father to bring about in us as followers of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? What does being one look like? What does being unified look like? What does Jesus have in mind here? 
And I want to acknowledge input into this message here from Timothy Keller, Erwin Ince, and, and other commentators. And in the time that we have left, I would like us to answer and just look at two questions. What is unity? Right? What does it mean for us to be one? That's the first question. Second, why is this important? Why does it matter? Those are the two questions we're going to look at. First, what does it mean to be one? What does Jesus have in mind here when he prays for us that all who believe in him would be one, even as God and Jesus are one? Now, when some people think of all of Jesus' followers being one, they may think that what Jesus had in mind for his believers is that they would, we would all be a part of the same global church. One church, one name, one elders, one governing body, just one church. Not different churches, different denominations, different uh, parachurch organizations. Some people think that this is what Jesus had in mind. One global church all unified together. But I don't think this is what Jesus was talking about. I don't think Jesus is praying for us as believers and churches and denominations to be organized a certain way. I don't think he was praying to see an organizational structure come about. Why? It's because of the evidence of being one, the evidence of us being unified. See, Jesus prays that all of his followers would be in complete unity, and then the outcome of that, then the result would be that a watching world would be amazed at the loving unity that we would experience together the way we would treat and interact with one another, that's the evidence. The evidence of us being one is that people would be amazed. The unified, loving community. And I don't think that when the world sees two churches merge or denominationals, uh, denominations merge that they think, wow, they must love each other so much. In the same way that if Suncor you know, acquired another oil and gas company, the watching world wouldn't say, wow, look at how Suncor and this company love each other. They want to be unified. They want to be in community. Or if you know, Meta, formerly Facebook, acquires a tech company, people don't say, wow, look at how they love each other. How amazing is that? I don't think Jesus had in mind organizational structure. There's nothing wrong with churches merging or denominations, but I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. You see, as people watched the early Christians, this early communities beginning to form, we see that in the book of Acts. People watching were amazed at the quality of their unity quality of their love, their affection for one another, support and care for one another. And what was so unusual about the early Christians was that they were the first multi-ethnic community, multi-ethnic faith, multi-ethnic religion. You see, Christianity was the first multi-ethnic faith. Early Christians believed that Jesus was the Savior of the whole world, all races, all nationalities, all, ethnic, all ethnicities. And historically, religions were aligned with a certain ethnic group. This ethnic group had their religion. This had their religion. This had their faith. And these, this religion then further perpetrated divisions that already existed because of race, ethnicity, culture, traditions, and so on. But Christians, early Christians believed Jesus was the Savior of all. Every single person, the whole world. 
And so we begin to see this multi-ethnic faith emerge in the early church. It was a faith that was not just for the Jews, but for the Greeks and the Romans and Africans and Europeans and Asians and Persians and not just you know, for both the rich and the poor, for both the young and the old. It was an amazing visibility of an intergenerational community. Even today, where do you see young and old, junior high to seniors, every single week in the same room experiencing the same thing together? You don't see that many places except in church. Even today was a faith not just for men, but for women and men. Full participation of both. This is why Jesus prays that all of them, keyword all, all of them, would be one. In unity. Not uniformity, but in unity. Not same. Differences for sure, but one unified, loving community. We all have. We all have our own opinions. We all have our own perspectives. We have, all have our own values, our own traditions, our own bias, even our own prejudice that can tend to bring division and alienate us from one another. Bring massive division. We've been living through this the last two years, haven't we? Pro-maskers, anti-maskers. Pro-vax, anti-vax. Pro-convoy, anti-convoy. I could go on and on and on. We've been living in this. But Jesus' prayer here in John 17, Jesus prays that all of his followers, all who profess faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, would be in complete unity across racial divides, across class system divides, across political divides, across pandemic divides, across, across ethnic divides, across socioeconomic divides, across age differences. Jesus prays for this and asks his heavenly Father to bring about a loving, unified, one community of followers of Jesus Christ. Because the heart of the gospel is this. The heart of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he wants to accomplish in us and through us is that brings us together in ways that are not reproducible, that are actually abnormal to the world around us, that are not reproducible. The gospel brings us together through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now let me get very practical, a bit more practical here, though. What does it look like for us to be one to interact with one another in unity. I want to share with you four, four ways that we are one, that we are unified together. First, as followers of Jesus, we live in unity and we're one when we share our possessions with each other. Look at how this early church, this multi-ethnic community of faith in Jesus Christ shared what they had. Acts 4.32, this is so remarkable. Acts 4, 32 and following. All the believers were one in heart and mind. We see that again here. They're one. All the believers were one. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace. God's unmerited favor was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Can you believe that? No needy persons among them. 
From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. What a remarkable, unusual community expressing extravagant generosity. This is the early believers. Sold what they had, gave to those who had need. And the testimony among them was that there was no one in need. There wasn't greed, there wasn't stinginess. People weren't looking out for their own interests alone, but looking out for the interests of others. This is what a loving community who is one, who's in complete unity, does. See, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, a lot of things begin to change in us. But one of the things that changes in us, sometimes quickly, sometimes over time, is that we see all of the stuff that we have not as our own. The change that happens in us is we believe and acknowledge everything we have is not ours. That's a fact. It belongs to God. It's his. He's given it to you and to me, to steward, to borrow for a time, but it's all his. That's what the Bible teaches these early believers functioned that way. They didn't see their stuff as theirs. They were generous to it and shared with others as they were able. So we don't hold on to what we have. We share it. And I see this lived out within Center Street Church at all of our campus locations. About five or six years ago, I heard about this missional community group. And uh, there was one family that was a part of this community. They had just come through extreme crisis, significant change in their life. They had come through that and were just, again, starting fresh, starting brand new in so many ways. They were just establishing themselves, stewarding their finances and, and struggling to make ends meet and struggling to save up just a little bit. And so the rest of the people in this group thought, well, how can we help this family? And what they did was, the rest of the people in this group decided, we're going to start collecting pot bottles and all the money, the refund that we get from bottles, etc., we're just going to put, we're going to hold it aside. And then they talked to this family that was a part of this group and said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. If you can save up $20, $30, $40, $50, whatever it might be every month to put down over and above on your mortgage, we are going to match that. We're going to match it as a way just to help this family get reestablished from this incredible crisis that had just occurred in their life. How amazing is that? How innovative, right? To come along and surround a family that's been through crisis and just help them along gently. I see generosity in Center Street Church. I see ways that people provide a place for others to live. I see how people provide meals for the sick. I see about how people raise funds to cover medical costs, how people give cars to other families who need a vehicle. People who consistently just break bread, bake bread, not break bread, <laughs> bake bread, and give it to people just out of kindness. I see people taking care of others' children. I see people helping do renovations and paint and repair stuff in other people's homes. I see people who care for the sick and visit those in hospital. I see people giving clothing to others. I hear of families, you know, giving away bicycles and skateboards and ice skates to others. I see people giving away appliances to others. This happens at Center Street Church as we 
Yeah, we praise God for that, the generosity. I see this happening and so much more. It's a picture. We see glimpses, right, of us striving to be this generous, one, unified, loving community. Second way that we live in unity and we're one when we share our problems with each other. When we share our problems. Listen to how God calls us to live in Ephesians 4. Paul writes this, As a prisoner for the Lord then, and he was in prison when he wrote this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love. What this means is that we bear with one another, with each other, life. Life in all of its problems and issues and struggles that maybe we're encountering right now or we will encounter in the future. The invitation is here for us, is for us to be this loving, unified community that bears with each other just to just make life work. Get through life, not on our own, but with others. And why is it at times that I, maybe you as well, we're just hesitant to share of struggles and problems that we have? You know, why is that? If you're looking for an answer or waiting for an answer, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why we're like that. Maybe it's because of our culture. It just sort of pressures us, right, to be self-reliant, self-sustaining, self-whatever. I don't know. But sadly, we even in Christian circles feel like we have to have our life together at times. The invitation here is for us to bear with one another, which means then first just acknowledging a problem, an issue, a struggle, something that's going on with someone else from you know, this faith community. This is what we're invited to do. This is the kind of community that we're invited to shape with one another. You see, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I, I describe this change that happens within us, that we don't hold on tightly to the things that we have, thinking that we own them. No, we share them with others. But the gospel as well changes us from the inside out so that, changes our attitudes so that we can, with what we don't have, we can accept what we don't have. We can accept that we don't have it all together, that we, ha we have needs, very real needs in life, that we have problems and struggles. The gospel changes us so we're, we're vulnerable and humble and gentle and patient and we can bear with each other just problems in life. This is a picture of, well, about how we can be a unified, loving community. We share our problems with each other. We bear one another's, someone else's burdens, and in time, perhaps they will help us carry the burdens that we have in life. Third way that we live in unity and we're one is we share the truth in love with each other. Ephesians 4.15 says this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. What Paul is writing to, he's writing to believers, he's writing to Christians, Christ followers, to speak the truth in love 
to other people who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Why? We speak the truth in love so that we will grow, we'll become mature, we'll become mature in Christ, we'll become mature in other areas of our lives. Growth comes about as we speak the truth in love to each other. Sometimes Christians will reference this verse and say, well, we need to speak the truth and love to people who don't know Jesus yet. Certainly that principle applies, but the context of this verse here and the way that it's written is that believers speak the truth in love to each other. To each other. How are we doing with that? Do we do that well? I don't know if we do that well. This should be the operating principle that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, where we lovingly, absolutely lovingly, confront each other, lovingly challenge each other, lovingly speak the truth to each other. In the conduct that we see in one another, in our belief, in our attitudes, and in our actions. Because here's the truth. We need people around us who will talk to us about the things in our lives that are destroying us, that are hurting us, that are hindering us, we need other people. Because the truth is we don't, we don't see ourselves as we are at times. None of us are as self-aware as we'd like to be. And there's things in our lives that hurt us, that destroy us, that are destructive in our lives. Could be an attitude, could be a behavior, could be a way we conduct ourselves. And we really do need others around us who know us well and who love us and who care for us to speak the truth to us. We need this. I was talking with someone quite a number of weeks ago, and this individual was sharing with me some things that they saw, conduct and behavior, in another person. They were saying, this is what I see in this person, and and they were sharing that, and then they said, and they said, well, others see this too in this person. And I said, well, have you talked to this person about what you see? And they said, no, I haven't. And I said, well, have the other people talked to this person about what they see? And they said, no. And I said, well, why don't you talk to them? And they said, well, I don't know how this would come across. I don't know if it's my place. I don't know how they're going to take this if I share this with them. And I said, well, you know this person well, don't you? He said, yeah. And I said, well, you like this person, don't you? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, talk to them. Talk to them and do it with love, absolutely. Do it with great respect. Do it humbly. Speak to them with gentleness. Speak to them with their best interests in mind. But talk to them. And I said, it would almost be unfair, actually, if you and others see this in this person and you didn't say anything, that would be almost cruel. That'd be unfair. Because how are they going to know? How are you going to know? How am I going to know? We need people around us. And here's the thing. We need to give other people permission. Because it's tough to speak the truth in love. It's tough to receive the truth in love when, you know, when, we're, when we're spoken to. It's tough. It's tough on both situations and circumstances. 
But this is the kind of loving, unified, one community that Jesus prays that the Father would bring about among us as followers of Jesus Christ. This is the kind of loving community. So, give permission to a few people around you who know you well, who you feel safe with. Give permission to them to speak the truth and love to you. Give them permission. Empower them to do that. People who you trust, who you love, who you know that they love you, do this. This is the kind of loving community that Jesus prays that we would live out among us. Fourth, we live in unity and we're one when we share our failures with each other. When we share our failures with each other. See, unfortunately in our culture, when someone fails, when someone messes up, you get rid of them. You discard them, you cancel them, fill in the blank, whatever it is. But usually when someone messes up, we get rid of them. I mean, in the business world, if, if someone messes up, usually they get laid off and then everybody signs confidentiality agreements and you don't talk about it ever again. Right? This is not the kind of community that Jesus wants for us to model and live out. Honestly, we can do better than we are. Sometimes we act in a similar way towards other people and their failures, which makes it so incredibly difficult for us to share our failures with others. We can do better. We can live a different way. And the irony is, here's the irony. (laughs) In the Bible, almost every single woman and man we see have failed. That's the irony. The heroes of our faith, incredible failure we see in their lives. The first key leaders of the early church, Peter and Paul, if you're familiar with their lives just a little bit, incredible failures. I want to do a little bit of a survey here. Everyone in the room who has failed in some way, shape, or form, raise your hand. All of you are honest. Awesome. (laughs) You're telling the truth. Every hand should be raised. I mean, did you look around the room? We are in a company of people who have failed. I certainly have. You can ask my wife about that. We're getting, we're, we're married now this June, almost 20 years, well, 20 years. And we, thank you. We still, we still fight and argue, not as much as we used to, about the same things that we did in year one of marriage. And to be honest, Majority of those issues are me. They're me. My wife is so patient with my slow incremental growth. (laughs) We're all, we've all failed. We've all failed. And so in the company of a unified, one, loving faith community, let's share. Share appropriately. Share with a few people. Trusted, safe people, how we have failed, and here's why. James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Share your failures with each other, great or small. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed so that you may be healed. 
Let's share our failures with each other, praying for each other so that we'll be healed. So that we'll be healed. You see, a Christian community that's unified, that's a loving community, acknowledges failure and through support and accountability transforms failure into wisdom. That's what happens. We transform our failures, praying for one another before the Lord and with the help of the Holy Spirit and our failures are transformed to wisdom. To wisdom. You know, we're invited here to be a a unified one community that doesn't expel or cancel failure, but seeks to reconcile failure, seeks to bring redemption out of failure. A community that doesn't condone or put up with failure or sweep it under the rug or hide it or pretend that it's not there, but instead we share and we confess and we share our failures with one another and support one another so that we see restoration from our failure and from our sin. This is the kind of loving, unified, one community that Jesus prays that his heavenly Father would bring about among us. Among us. And, and hear me again. Sharing our failures needs to happen with a close group of people, with a safe environment, people that love you, that care about you, that will help you, that will support you, that will hold you accountable, that will pray for you, and intercede so that there'll be healing, restoration, redemption, and wisdom will come about from failure. We can do better at this, church, within our missional community groups, within our discipleship groups, and all over the place. But Jesus prays that we would be one, that we would be in complete unity as we share our possessions, as we share the truth in love with one another, as we bear the burden of life with each other, as we share our failures with each other and are prayed for and are healed. This is a picture of what Jesus prays for. This is a picture of unshakable unity, a loving community of followers of Jesus Christ. Before I get to the second question, it's not as long as the first, before I get to the second question, is there something that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind so far? I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you. Follow through on that. There's some kind of generosity that the Holy Spirit is inviting you to, to share. Something that you have. Is there maybe a way you can support someone who's going through struggle or hardship or a problem? Is there, is there something that's been brought to your mind that Holy Spirit is saying, gently, humbly, and with great love, share this truth with this person? a fellow believer in Jesus Christ. Has Holy Spirit brought something to your mind that you say, you know what? I need healing from this in me. I need healing. And so I'm going to share my failure and I'm going to be prayed for so that God would bring about healing in my life. Is there something that the Holy Spirit has been bringing to your heart and to your mind all I want to say is, as you walk out of this room, don't forget that. Don't neglect that. Follow through on that. Continue to pray about that. So, second question. Why is this all important? 
why does unity, why does oneness matter at all? Why is Jesus praying for this? Why does he desire this for us? Why? I want to bring you back to John 17 here, verse 22. This is what Jesus prays. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Key word here is then. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What Jesus is saying here is that when we function in unity, when we as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are one in complete unity, it's then that the world who doesn't know Jesus yet will believe. It's then that they'll believe the truth about Jesus Christ. It's then that they'll believe all the things that we say are true about Jesus. It's then that they'll believe all of these things when we are one, when we are in complete unity. Said another way, unless the world sees a faith community of followers of Jesus Christ, unless the world sees this community that is so loving and so unified, they will not believe the truth about Jesus Christ. And they won't believe that God loves them. This is heavy, church. This is heavy. You see, God has intentionally and purposefully, and don't ask me why, he's intentionally and purposefully linked his reputation. God has linked his reputation and his witness and his name to the way that we function as a loving, unified community. This is what he's done. The way that we treat each other, the way that we share with each other, the way that we care for one another, forgive one another, reconcile with one another, serve one another, support one another, care for one another, all of these things are bound up reflecting Jesus. Jesus' name and his reputation is bound to us as a Christian community. So here's a question. Are we by the way that we interact, live and love each other, are we making Jesus look ugly to the world around us? Are we making Jesus look ugly by the way that we treat one another? Think of a church that you know, been at, attended in the past perhaps. Do you know what church where people are clicky, there's gossip, there's slander, there's hatred, there's jealousy, there's insensitivity, there's backbiting that takes place, there's unforgiveness there. People in that church are not willing to accept people of other races and ethnicity. People are not, don't offer hospitality to those who are not like them. People in this church are, gold, are cold and greedy and selfish and negative and critical. Do you know what church like this? Well, how are we doing? A Center Street Church. And could people, by the way that we interact with one another, all of our campus locations, missional community groups, would people say this about us? I mean, I sure hope not. But would they see this stuff happening here 
and the communities that we're a part of, smaller communities and campuses, would people see us that we're selfish and critical and backbiting takes place and there's jealousy, there's slander, there's gossip, there's hatred, there's unforgiveness. How are we doing? How are we doing, church? And how we treat each other. You see, we're one church. Jesus prays for us. Prays that we would be one, that we would be a unified, loving community. And he prays this, expecting that his Father would bring this about, that it could be a reality, this kind of community that I've just described. We're one church. We're one at Center Street Church. We're unified. We're unified with the same vision, the same mission, the same uh, board of governors, the same senior pastor, the same leadership team. Yeah, we're, we're one in five locations, but we're not five churches. We're one church in many different locations and different missional community groups all across Calgary and around the Calgary. And we believe to the core of our being that we are better together. And if we can get this right of living this way as a unified one community, then a watching world perhaps will see and believe the truth about who Jesus is. We're one not only in our, like I described, in how we operate and function as a church, but we're one because Jesus has called us to be one. Unified, loving community. And with Jesus' help and the power of his Holy Spirit, may it start with us, church. May we, may we grow in how we treat each other and how we're one and unified and generous and share and share our problems and failures and all of this stuff. I love that we are a multi-ethnic church. I love that. It's a glimpse of what heaven will be like. May we, may it start with us that we, we unify ourselves across all of the divides that tend to divide us and alienate us from one another. May it start with us. May it start with us. As individuals and families and friendships flow out into our campuses, may it start with us and flow out all over Calgary, southern Alberta, around the world. May it start with us. Jesus has prayed for us. And this is a prayer that the Heavenly Father would love to make a reality among us. You know what I believe? It's just my opinion, but I think the world, I think they're tired of hearing about this Jesus that loves them. Maybe even they're tired and sick, you know, about hearing about this Jesus that loves them, and they want to see it. They want to see the change that the gospel in Jesus can bring about in a people who call themselves followers of Jesus. They want to see this loving community. May it start with us so that it's so attractive that they will believe that Jesus is who he says he is and they'll believe that there's a loving God who loves them because of the love that they see in a community. May it start with us. May it start with us.